If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and one verse of Scripture today will form the foundation for the message, which is entitled, Pass the Salt, Please. And we're looking at this verse of Scripture that Jesus uh, spoke and recorded by Matthew regarding you and I as being salt of the earth. You'll notice in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up into the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them. Now, oftentimes, the three, verse, three chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's gospel is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, yet, it says that he didn't preach to them, uh, he taught them. It says in verse 2, he opened his mouth and began to teach them. You may recall in John's gospel when Nicodemus came to uh, Jesus at night, he said, Master uh, Rabbi is what he called him, which means teacher. We know that you are from God. You could not say and do the things that you say and do if the Lord had not sent you. Uh, so Jesus uh, taught his disciples. <coughs> Now, you'll notice also in verse 1 that he says the crowds, it's in the plural, crowds, uh, but yet he taught his disciples when they came to him. And so he was teaching the disciples and uh, the rest of the people were eavesdropping in on what Jesus was saying. He's not talking about salvation here. He's addressing his disciples and he is telling them that they need to possess and demonstrate the basic principles that we know as the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and so forth. Now, I remind you that uh, when we began this series of messages, I said to you that if the whole world, which is an impossibility, being human that we are, but if all of us would follow the principles that Jesus taught in the Beatitudes, it would make a tremendous difference in our world today. It really would. I don't believe there's any problem, any situation that you and I deal with or find ourselves in the midst of that cannot be resolved if we would follow the basic principles and that is both all of us and both sides of there's a conflict or whatever it may be. If we would follow the basic principles that Jesus taught in the Beatitudes, there's no problem that couldn't be resolved. No difficulty that could not be worked through triumphantly if we would follow these basic principles. The Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that has ever been preached by the greatest person who ever lived, recorded in the greatest book that has ever been written addressing the greatest subjects that you and I will ever face in life. And so today, beginning with verse 13, he says, you, you are the salt of the earth. Notice the word you there. It is in what we call the uh, emphatic, that is, Literally translated, uh, he's addressing his disciples and he is saying, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. And notice the word are, present tense. Not hopefully you will be, not something that will take place in the future. Uh, not something that uh, uh, you have to work at, but he says you are, present tense. You and you alone are the salt of the of the earth. Now, table salt is actually sodium chloride, 
which is often used in chemistry classes. And you can get hydrogen by dropping sodium into water and you can get poisonous gas from chloride. So sodium and chloride are the two most dangerous elements known to mankind when left by themselves. But God took sodium and chloride and worked a miracle in putting them together and making something very common, but very useful and very necessary. You and I cannot survive. We cannot live without salt. I know sometimes uh, you may sit down at a dinner table and um, take your first bite of food, anticipating a very delicious meal, only to discover that the cook has left out the most basic ingredient of all, salt. And therefore your food kind of tastes bland or flat or, or dull, certainly not appetizing as, as it possibly could be. Sometimes uh, I've watched in a, a restaurant or, or even at somebody's home to sit down at a meal. They, they never taste their food. They just immediately reach for the salt shaker and they start shaking the salt all over their food, adding to it. Then they go to the doctor and he says, because of your health, you need to cut salt out of your diet. Even, you know, salt is important. Really, it is to our existence. If you were to have to have surgery, one of the things basically that they will do is hook you up to a saline solution that's full of salt because your body cannot survive without salt. You will die without salt. In Jesus' day, salt was as valuable as gold, a rare delicacy, and often used as a medium of exchange. In fact, it has been shown in historical records that the Roman soldiers were often paid in salt. Thus, we get the Latin word salium, which means salt money. And sometimes when we talk about an individual who works hard and is dependable and responsible, we say of him or of her, he is worth his salt. So salt is extremely, extremely important in our society. You'll notice on your outline today, there are three basic ideas that I want to pursue as we develop this idea of pass the salt, please. And the first idea has to do with Christians being beneficial to society because salt is beneficial to society and we as Christians are to be beneficial to society as well. Have you, have you ever stopped to consider what society would be like if there were no Christians? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ for over 2,000 years has been spreading righteousness and holiness and holding back sin. It was because of Christians spreading the gospel that women and children were freed from bondage. It was the message of preachers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus like John Wesley and George Whitfield that saved England from revolution and ruin. Because of Christians and Christian influence, we see such laws developed as child labor laws and the laws regarding the poor, the abolition of slavery and educational opportunities. All of these things are the direct results of the witness of Christians in society. Hospitals, orphanages, homes for the aged, care for the underprivileged, these too are the fruit of the gospel. 
The early uh, colonial years produced some of the major universities of our own day. Unfortunately, they have strayed away from their original purpose of being founded. But universities such as Harvard and Princeton and Columbia and Rutgers and Brown and Dartmouth, all of those institutions were established originally for the training of preachers to go out into the world and preach the good news of the Lord Jesus. Unfortunately, they have strayed away from their original intent of being established. But our society in many ways is what it is today because of the influence of Christians going out into society and being the salt of the earth that Jesus said they were. When you think about salt, there are several characteristics that come to mind and several purposes that salt serves. You'll notice on your outline that I've listed places there for you to fill in the blanks that one of the reasons and the benefits and the purposes of salt is that salt seasons, it seasons. A little boy was asked on one occasion to define salt and he said, well, salt is what makes food taste bad when it's not on it. In the book of Job, chapter six and verse six, Job says, can something tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? Oh, salt flavors our food and brings out the, the, the taste of food, the, the, the flavor, the seasoning of it. We Christians are God's seasoning for the world. We are here to make life more enjoyable not only for ourselves, but for others. Unfortunately, there are some people who are not seasoning. They are poison. They make life bitter and difficult. And I suppose all of us know somebody out there who's constantly complaining, always grumbling, and making life miserable for themselves as well as for others. And yet one of the reasons why God has left you in society is so that you can season in a sweet and positive and beneficial way your relationship with other people and help people to enjoy life to its fullest. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. A couple of examples might suffice at this point. You may recall over in the 27th chapter of the book of Acts, that the apostle Paul was on his way to Rome. He had, he had appealed to Rome. Paul was a Roman citizen. And he had been confronted by his critics and in order to save his life and to give him a little more time, he made an appeal to Caesar. When a Roman citizen made an appeal to have a conference before Caesar, then that was just pretty well a, a done thing. And so Paul in the 27th chapter of Acts is on board a ship and they are sailing toward Rome and uh, a storm occurs. And um, they, frantically, the sailors on board, there are 270 plus people on board this ship. And they're frantically trying to keep the ship afloat. But there seems to be more water getting inside the boat than there is in the ocean itself. And they are in danger of, um, of sinking, of losing their lives. They've been doing this for several days. And Paul stands up in the midst of them and he says to these, these men on board the ship, he says, um, I, I, am a, I, I serve the Lord God Almighty 
And uh, he spoke to me in a dream last evening from, uh, with the, from the angel of the Lord, assuring us uh, that, that all of us will arrive on shore alive. Uh, the boat will sink, yes, but we will be alive. And so Paul was being used by the Lord that night to season the crowd and the, and, and the crew in order to encourage them and lift them up and, and stir them on uh, to, to, to have heart and to have hope that they, they would not lose their lives. He was a seasoning, if you please, for them. And then there's the Old Testament character of Joseph. Joseph, you remember, sold into slavery by his brothers, ends up in Egypt. Uh, he is a slave to uh, a, a Roman soldier, Potiphar. And um, yet he seasons the whole situation. He doesn't grumble. He doesn't complain. He doesn't bellyache, as we say. He doesn't accuse God of being mistreated by him. He is seasoning for that situation. He is so well trusted and blessed by the Lord that the, Romans, uh, the, the uh, Egyptian uh, soldier entrusts Joseph with everything in his house, just turns it over to him. He's that well trusted. He's, he's that honorable by Potiphar. And, uh, and so he seizes the salt. Now, of course, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him and accuses him later of, of trying to rape her. And he's thrown into dungeon. But even when he gets down there into the dungeon, he begins to season the whole situation. Uh, he, he's well respected. God has his hands on him. Again, not complaining, not grumbling not criticizing, not blaming God for his misfortune and mistreatment. No, he is the salt of the earth, salt of the earth. So salt seasons, it just adds flavor to life. Do you add flavor to people's lives? Are people glad to see you when you show up? Secondly, salt preserves, salt preserves. Remember the people to whom Jesus is addressing in the Sermon on the Mount Many of them were fishermen, and um, fishermen knew how important salt was because when they went out to fish and came back to shore, it might be a while before they could sell those fish or use them in some way. Uh, they didn't have refrigerations and ice and things like we do today to preserve things, and so the only way that they could preserve anything that was in danger of decaying and rotting would be to saturate it with salt to bathe it with salt. And salt prevents decay and restrains corruption. It was necessary to salt the fish down to keep them edible. If ever there was a day in when we need to have the preserving power of the gospel, it is today. It is today. You know, what's the only thing that's keeping God bringing complete and total judgment upon this earth, I believe, is the presence of Christians in the, in the world today. Think with me again about some Old Testament characters such as Noah. Noah, you remember, uh, was the only one among all the multitudes of people on the earth who feared God and loved God and obeyed God. And as long as Noah was there outside of the ark and he was told to build an ark and finally get all of his family together and get them in the ark. And it wasn't until after Noah was safe on the inside of the ark that God then allowed the flood to take place. But through all of those 100 plus years that, that Noah was busy building the ark, it was a testimony to the rest of the community that judgment was coming. 
And as long as he was there, he was keeping judgment away. But once he entered that ark, the rain fell, the flood rose, and the people perished. You remember Lot over down there in the, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, living in a, one of the most sinful societies that have ever existed in the history of the world. Homosexuality and lesbianism rampant. And yet it, it was only after he was taken out of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, that, that God allowed those two cities and the people therein to be destroyed. As long as Lot was there, uh, he was not an obedient child. He was a child of God, but he, he was certainly living in obedience, not having much of an influence over those people, but yet restraining the judgment of God. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of 2 Thessalonians that it is the Holy Spirit who in our day and time is holding back the wrath and judgment of God. But one of these days, the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the world and then the tribulation will take place and the judgment will come and the world as we now know it will cease to exist. Salt seasons, salt preserves, and salt heals, heals. Salt, as you well know, is a healing antiseptic. If you have a sore throat, one of the first remedies that it would be suggested to you, and as you well know, is to take warm water and fill it full of salt and gargle with it because it has a healing commodity a part of it and it helps to soothe a sore throat. If you have surgery, as I said a moment ago, you'll be hooked up to a saline solution, the salt that would be pumped into your body to keep you alive, to help you to be healthy. Salt heals, but fourthly, salt penetrates. Salt penetrates. Salt has such powerful properties that just a pinch of salt is all that is required to fill a whole gallon of water with its influence. In fact, it is one of the most potent compounds that dissolves quickly well in either hot or cold water. You must get the salt to the source where it can penetrate and activate and change society. And we need to guard ourselves from becoming a salt warehouse. We need to be salt shakers. We need to pass the salt, get it off the table and into the food of society. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples before he went back to heaven? Recorded in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, you, you wait up in the upper room until the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, Joel takes place and, and you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world. And you read the first four or five or six chapters of the book of Acts and that was exactly what they were doing. But they were doing it in the city of Jerusalem. They had not scattered out into the world. They had not penetrated into society beyond their own city limits. And so what did God allow to happen? Persecution. There was a persecutor by the name of Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And he began to make havoc of the church, the church being the body of believers. And because of his persecution as well as the others, the church, the believers began to scatter. They went to all parts of the earth preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so salt penetrates, goes to the ends of the earth. And you take salt and you put it on ham or some food, it, it'll go all the way to the center of that ham. It penetrates it. 
We're to penetrate society. Not only does uh, salt penetrate, but uh, salt irritates. It really does. Have you ever gotten a cut on your hand or on your finger and then got salt into it? <laughs> you know how it stings and how it burns? In Mark chapter 9, in verse 49, the Bible says, For everyone will be salted with fire. What does that mean? Well, I, I think, among other things, it was a figure of speech that Jesus was using, talking about how salt burns, that salt burns like fire. And I think he was making a reference to the persecution that Christians would experience as a result of their penetrating society. The truth of God's word, when rubbed into the diseased world, will sting. If you don't believe it, then you stand up in some godless society or in such godly activity and say something about the Lord Jesus and you'll become the subject of people's wrath. You know, over in the third chapter of John's gospel, we kind of hesitate and stop at John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. But we don't go on to read what else Jesus had to say in that chapter where he talks about how the world will hate us and the reason why is because they love darkness. They don't come to the light. Why? Because if they come to the light, their sins will be exposed. If you ever walked into a room that was dark and flipped on the light and watch all of the insects, the roaches and whatever else is in there, they scatter, uh, they try to hide from the light. They don't like the light. And, and when you turn a light on inside a dark room, it exposes what is in that room. It'll show you where the furniture is. If there are people in there, it'll show you where they are. You get up in the middle of the night. If you don't turn the light on, you might stump your toe and say something inappropriate on your way to the bathroom. So you turn, why? The light exposes what's in the darkness. Well, in society, when you share the light of the world who is the Lord Jesus Christ, in a, in, in, a, in a circumstance or surrounding a situation where they're not Christian people, they will resent it. They'll call you a hypocrite. They'll, they'll, they'll criticize you. Uh, they will insult you. They, they will uh, unleash their wrath upon you. And so he is saying here, the world will hate you if you say anything about me. Paul says that all who desire to live godly will experience persecution. Now, persecution can come in many forms, as I shared with you last week. Sometimes it's physical persecution. There are people in the world today, literally thousands of people today, who are being persecuted physically, in jail, being beaten, being beheaded, being crucified in some way, for no other reason other than that they are Christians. How about you? <laughs> What would you do if all of a sudden somebody burst into this room and lined you up against the wall and say, you either deny Christ or you're dead? The world hates us. It hated Jesus, and Jesus said, they'll hate you because they hate me. The servant isn't greater than the master. Jesus said, if the world hates me, they're going to hate you. And you get in a situation. We'll, we'll talk about some of these things before the, before the message is over with, so I better hurry up. And so we'll go on. And the final thing is salt creates thirst. It creates thirst. Barnabas was sent down to Antioch when the great revival broke out in order to examine the, the new converts to make sure that they had been genuinely converted and saved and that they were being faithful in following the Lord. And, and the Holy Spirit just blessed them and created a thirst. And the, there were many people that were added because of it. 
You remember the woman at the well recorded in John chapter 4 who sat there and, 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 and Jesus said, if you drink of the water that comes out of this well, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give to you, you'll never thirst again. And her request was, Lord, give me that water. John stood, uh, 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 Jesus stood up on, on the day of, of uh, uh, when, when they were gathered in the city of Jerusalem and he cried out to them, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from the innermost being, he, there will flow rivers of living water. And he went on to explain, John does in verse 29 of John chapter 7, to say that what he was referring to was the Holy Spirit. You remember in the Beatitudes, what did Jesus say? Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They will be satisfied. And salt intends to create, that's why you put salt on popcorn. That's why when you go to the movies, they saturate that bag of salt, uh, popcorn with salt. So you'll bring, buy a Coke. That's why. And the more of the salty popcorn you eat, the more you want to drink. That's why it's on pretzels. Why it's on a lot of other things. It creates thirst. You want more. And my, when you drink of the water that Jesus gives to you, yes, it satisfies. And yet at the same time, it creates you want more. You want more and more of Jesus. So like salt, Christians are beneficial to society. But notice the second thing. Like salt, Christians can lose their value. Now, not salvation. I've already said that to you. Jesus is not discussing salvation here. He's talking about Christian influence. That, that's what it boils down to. He's talking about how you are to influence other people that you hang around with, that you associate with. You are to penetrate the world in which you live with the message of Jesus Christ. You are to be the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if you're not careful, you can lose your ability to influence people. That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about losing your influence, of ending up being a bad example instead of a good example. Any chemistry teacher will tell you that it is impossible in a way for salt to become unsalty. Sodium chloride is one of the most stable compounds in the entire universe. It doesn't change and it never loses its character. But think about it for a moment. One of the greatest resources of salt in the world is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is dead because there's no outlet for the water to go other than evaporation. The water that is in the Dead Sea comes out of the Sea of Galilee and the River Jordan that flows into the Dead Sea. But other than evaporation, the water just stays there and it stagnates. It's one of the most salty sources that's known to the world. I've been floating around in the Dead Sea. Those of you who've been to Israel may have done the same thing. You, you, can't, you have to really work. It's sinking, drowning in the Red Sea. You, you just float. Even the biggest of us floating there. We were warned that don't splash around because you get salt in your eyes. You're in trouble. And it's there because the only excess or, or exit that uh, water has is through evaporation. And it leaves behind not just salt, but all other kinds of minerals. And the salt that's in the Dead Sea is mixed up with a lot of other minerals and therefore is not as salty as it could be. 
And so since the Dead Sea is mixed with minerals, it's, it's not pure sodium chloride. It's, it's possible with a little dampness in the air that that salt can be dissolved and basically dissipated, wasted. It can really not be used for anything. And so it, it happens that way. Now notice something about verse 13. Look at it for a moment. It took Jesus seven words to tell his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. But 32 words were spoken by him to warn them and us of the possibility of losing our saltiness, of losing the ability to influence other people. And it happens. It happens. Now, notice four things on your outline, and we quickly go through these things because i got 30 more minutes to share things with you. Okay. The description of the salt, he said, if the salt has become tasteless. Now, the word tasteless there comes from a Greek word that literally means, uh, it, it comes, the Greek word is moron, which means fool. And, and you remember over in Romans chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul was talking about the ungodly of the world and he says, professing them to be wise, they became fools. Fools. And the word meaning indicates that the cause of the loss of the saints' savor was a failure in their character. Their character messed up. They did things that cost them their reputation. Notice not only the description, but notice the devaluation. It is no longer good for anything. <laughs> Boy, Luke really gets down to it. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 35, he says, it is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. I mean, even dung would not be valuable to society because of its losing its saltiness, that is the salt that's there. And he's talking about animal dung, you're not human dung, you're talking about animal dung that's used for fertilizer. It, it wasn't even good for fertilizer. It, it's just, it's no longer good for anything. And then notice the duration of it. If the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? You can't get pure salt out of it. And the same thing with you and, and with I. If we... If we lose our character, we lose our influence, and it will be very, very difficult to ever regain it. The stigma will not be completely removed. The failure will plague you for the rest of your life. If you don't believe that, ask King David. The man whose reputation was he was a man after God's own heart. But you never hear the story of David without also hearing about his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Plagues him all the day of his life. And the same thing will happen to you. If you're not careful, you'll lose your character. You'll lose your reputation. You'll lose your influence in society. And the doom of the polluted salt is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled under the foot of men. They didn't go spread it out over the, over the fields and use it for veg, to fertilize vegetation. It wasn't good for anything but to be thrown out on the road and to be trampled under the feet of men. And the same thing is happening to the church today. That, that uh, the, the, the church and Christians are, the, as I've told you before, the new whipping boy for society today. And uh, they, they, we're being trampled under the feet. We'll talk about that now. So let's look on to the third one. 
Like salt, Christians are beneficial to society. Like salt, Christians can lose their value. Then number three, like salt, there's a great need for Christians to influence society. God uses ordinary people to influence society. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 26. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 26. Jesus did not say to his disciples, you are the gold of the earth. Jesus did not say you are the silver of the earth. Jesus did not say you are the uranium of the earth. Jesus did not say you are the diamonds of the earth. Jesus didn't even say you are the lead of the earth. Jesus said you are the salt of the earth, a common substance. Jesus uses ordinary people to influence society. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who came to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast only in the Lord. Did you see the kind of characteristics of the people that God uses? Not many, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. He didn't say not any. He just said not many. And so there are some people who are very wise that love God and who are very wealthy and who love God. Uh, so it's just not many of them are. And those who are foolish and those who are weak and those who are base or common and despised by the world, things that are not, these are the ones God chose you and me. I think it was Abraham Lincoln who once said that God must love poor people because he made so many of them. And so God, God's not going to judge you by... Who you are other than, you know, your wealth and your, your accomplishments and everything. He looks on the heart. He doesn't judge you by your outward appearance. And you say, you don't have any talents. I can't do anything for the Lord unless you can. Don't belittle yourself. Don't cheapen yourself in that way. God loves you. God made you. He converted you. He demonstrated his love for you on the cross of Calvary. Surrender yourself to him and ask him to take you and to equip you and to bless you and empower you to be the kind of witness he wants you to be where you live. God will use you if you will allow him to. And then notice the final thing is that Christians should be involved in the affairs of society. Now in 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of your hands. He was talking to young Timothy and he said, Timothy, don't let the older people look down on you, criticize you, don't intimidate you. You, you, you ask the Lord to fill you and empower you and you be the witness that God placed you there to be. I know many of you uh, uh, subscribe to Jim Dennison's daily articles uh, just like I do. And this past week, I, I received an article from him as some of you did. So this may seem repetitious to you, but I, I think he, he's used some great examples of people being criticized in our society today because of their Christian convictions. 
For example, there's a Christian baker in Colorado who faces a year in jail for refusing to bake a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. The ruling party in Quebec, Canada, wants to ban religious symbols from public workplaces. The New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, recently claimed that extreme conservatives who are right to life, pro-assault weapons, anti-gay, have no place in the state of New York. You don't go visit New York? Well, if you're a Christian, you're not welcome. If you're pro-life and anti-abortion, you're not welcome there. If you believe in the right to bear arms in a concealed weapon license, you're not welcome there. One scholar estimates that 90% of all the people killed around the world are killed because of their Christian convictions. It has been quoted or reported that a Christian is killed, kidnapped, or abused every two to three days in Iraq. There was a day when the church was central to the culture. Stores were closed on Sunday. Schools would not schedule anything on Wednesday nights because that was the midweek prayer service for the churches. You don't see that anymore. There was a day when political leaders almost always identified publicly with the church. The church is being attacked as dangerous to society. The United Nations recently called on the Catholic Church to change its long-standing position on abortion, homosexuality, and contraceptions, claiming that these doctrines are harmful to the public. A group calling itself Angry Queers recently threw baseball-sized rocks through nine church windows in Portland, Oregon, in a church called Mars Hill to protest the church's position on sexual morality. Rick Warren, as you know, is the founding pastor of Saddleback Church in California. His son, a few months ago, suffering from mental illness, committed suicide. Somebody said in response to that, I would have committed suicide too if my dad had been Rick Warren. Isn't that terrible? There's an atheist by the name of Richard Dawkins He's a, a critic of creationism, that is, where we believe that God created everything. He, he doesn't believe in God. You may remember back in 2008, over in England, uh, there was an anti-God campaign uh, that was undertaken, and they put signs on the side of their buses that said something like this, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. He claims, that is, Richard Dawkins does, that religion is the root of all evil. Seven to ten Protestant pastors now believe that religious liberty is on the decline in America. You know, how do you cook a frog? You ever, you ever cook a frog? A live one I'm talking about. Well, you put it in a, a pot of water. And you don't turn the heat up full blast automatically. You just put him in that container of water and you just kind of slowly turn the heat up a little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. And that stupid frog will sit there until he boils to death. You know what's happening to you and me today? The old devil 
just turning it up just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, eroding away our freedoms just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, until one day we wake up and it'll be too late. In 2010, there's a Roman Catholic cardinal by the name of Francis George of Chicago who made this statement. I expect to die in my bed. My successor will die in prison and his successor will be a martyr in the public square and his successor will pick up the remains of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization as this church has done so often throughout human history. Several years ago, we went to, uh, to the Holy Land and visited Bethlehem. And uh, Langston Kerr shared this with me, and I looked it up on the Internet. You can go to www.israelnationalnews.com. The Palestinian authorities have declared that the First Baptist Church of Bethlehem is unlawful and said that it will no longer receive the rights as a religious institution. Legal papers from the church, such as birth certificates, wedding certificates, and death certificates are no longer approved. Children are not even considered to be legitimate if they don't have recognized paperwork. And so if these families are members of the First Baptist Church of Bethlehem and they don't abide by the rules and regulations of the Palestinian authorities, you're an illegitimate child and have no rights whatsoever. Your marriage is not valid. Your divorce is not valid, whatever it is. Also, this, this, this past week, there was an article that I found on the Internet called World Trade Center Cross. You remember after 9-11 happened, they, they found this uh, metal, scrap metal that was left in the shape of a cross. And they're wanting to include that in the museum that has been established in honor of and in memory of those who lost their lives on 9-11 and especially those firemen and policemen who gave their lives. There's a group called American Atheist who will argue before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals that the cross-shaped steel beam found in the World Trade Center rubble does not belong in the private 9-11 museum because it is a cross. It is a cross. But the argument, of course, is to have a piece of history, and it is a piece of history. You cannot fully understand and have the whole story of what happened on 9-11 if you leave out that cross. It's a piece, just two pieces of metal, but it was in the shape of a cross. And yet they say, that's not right. That's religious. You can't do that. In 1962, prayer was banned in school. In 1963, the Bible was banned. In 1973, abortion was legalized in America, and a million children every year die as a result of abortion. In 1980, the Ten Commandments were banned. There's more religious freedom in many of the former United uh, Soviet Union countries than there is in America today. In the last 30 years, suicide among young people have increased 150%. In 2003, poll two-thirds of high school young people confessed to have used drugs. In 2003, more than one million teenage girls got pregnant. Sodomy has gone from being uh, uh, stinking to sickness to social acceptance. 
2005, it was estimated that three out of 10 Christian men were involved in internet pornography in some way. What's wrong with our world? Well, we'd like to think it's communism or, or the media or Hollywood or liquor and gambling industries or pornographers. No, you know what the problem is? The problem is sitting right here in this church. It's you and me. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. We're still in our salt shakers. We haven't penetrated society like we should. Did you know that there's enough Christians... I'm told that have registered to vote that could turn the tide of what's going on in our society today, but they can't because many who are don't go to the polls. They don't. In Leviticus 2.13, it says, Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. Why would they put salt with a grain offering to God? Because salt represents stability and purity. And we are to represent stability and purity in our society. Salt in the Bible speaks of life. Saving, purifying, sanctifying life of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a purifying element to salt. A purifying element to salt. <laughs> I read this week about a man who walked into a little mom and pop grocery store. And he asked the owner, do you sell salt? The man said, do we sell salt? Just look. And the man showed the customer an entire wall of shelves stocked from, from the floor all the way to the ceiling with nothing but salt. Morton salt, iodized salt, kosher salt, sea salt, rock salt, garlic salt, seasoning salt, Epsom salts, every kind of salt imaginable. <laughs> he led the customer to a back room filled with shelves and bins and carpet, cartons and barrels and boxes full of salt. The customer said, this is unreal. The man said, you ain't seen nothing yet. He led the customer down some steps into a huge basement, five times larger than the previous room. It was filled from wall to wall, floor to ceiling with every imaginable form, size, and shape of salt that you could imagine. <laughs> the man looked at him and said, you really do sell salt. The owner said, no, we don't. That's just the problem. We never sell salt. But that salt salesman that comes by every week, boy, he sure can sell salt. <laughs> and here's the point. Salt that stays on the shelf doesn't do anybody any good. It's got to get off the shelf and on the, to the food and into society for it to do any good. God's looking for some salty saints to spread the gospel. I think it's time for us to pass the salt, please. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, my, what a day and a time in history that you have chosen us, all of us common people, to be in our day and time and in our society, the salt of the earth. And yet so many of us choose to remain in the shaker and not put our influence into society. Oh God, forgive us when we've allowed our saltiness to become dissipated, worthless, wasteful. We pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you'll take your word, not mine, but your word, and apply it to our hearts and lives.
Perhaps there's someone here today who needs to make a decision for you. Someone who, who's never embraced you and confessed their sins to you and, and repented and, and turned to Jesus. And I pray that today, Holy Spirit of God, you'll perform your miracle of regeneration. Open their eyes. Keep in the name of Jesus the devil from influencing them and intimidating them from making a decision that would bring good things to them and glory to you. And should there be others here today who need to make decisions, God, may they feel impressed of the Holy Spirit and yield to his leading to do your will. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And you come if God's directing you.